Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. God's Word and go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. If I say the name Alexander Pope, does that ring a bell? I mean, we think of Alexander Hamilton. We know that name well, right? But Alexander Pope, he was an 18th century English poet, and he once wrote this. He said, Blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. Is that sound advice? As you think about life itself, is that sound advice? Listen, it sounds good at first, and it may be good in some aspect of your life, but as a general philosophy, that philosophy will get you nowhere, will it? Right? I mean, last Sunday, for instance, we're heading back from the beach, and thank you guys for the privilege of of being away. I appreciate uh, Dave filling in, doing just a fantastic job there with his sabbatical on a bus. And, and so, uh, but last Sunday we were heading back from the beach and my family and I, we, we stopped at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center there in Huntsville, Alabama. And there in the museum, it, it detailed all the steps, step by step, the way that, that those scientists had, had put together the development of the rocket ship to boost people into outer space. And they had all sorts of uh, failures along the way, all sorts of setbacks, rockets that would blast off and then fall right back down before they got very far at all. But here's the thing that all of those rockets had in common. They expected them to do what they were designed to do. They expected them to blast off, right? It was those expectations that pushed those developers forward in life, right? Expectations, they're just a part of life. When you mashed the brakes coming in the parking lot, you expected them to stop the car. When you sat down on the chair that you're right now sitting down on, you expected it to hold you up and not let you fall to the floor. When it's payday, you expect your paycheck to be direct deposited into your bank account. So, so expectations are everywhere. They help us to navigate the world we live in. They, they help us to push forward and upward and hold us. To a standard. And when we turn to the Bible, we read God's expectations. God has expectations. Perhaps you've never thought about it this way, but the Ten Commandments, for instance, they are a list of God's expectations. And there are, of course, many others throughout the Scripture. But as we turn to 1 Timothy 4, we see a list of expectations for pastors. Now, 1 Timothy, as I said early on, is a pastoral epistle along with 2 Timothy, along with Titus. right? These are, these are letters written from Apostle Paul to pastors that they might know how to live and work and serve the local church. And so we turn here and we see expectations for pastors. And, and who should expect these things? Well, God does. That's why God put them in here. But by extension, this morning, I want you to understand that you as the church should expect these things as well. You should expect them as an individual, and you should expect them as an entire congregation, as a church. You see, a healthy church expects healthy things from its pastors, all right? Here's today's big idea that I want you to take home from this text today. A healthy church has healthy expectations for its pastors, 
A healthy church has healthy expectations for its pastors. And so as we pick back up with our walk through the book of 1 Timothy in this series that we're calling Diagnosis Healthy Church, notice that I said healthy expectations. Brother Gary knows this well as a retired pastor, and others of you who have served in various capacities, we know that a lot of pastors deal with a lot of expectations that are unhealthy, that are unrealistic, that are extra biblical. Now, when I say extra biblical, I don't mean that they're really, really, really super duper biblical. I mean that they are more than what the Bible says. They're not necessarily bad, but they are not biblical expectations. They're expectations from man, not from God. And so retired pastor Joe McKeever, he has a pretty good list from his 42 years of pastoring of unrealistic expectations. Let's see this morning if maybe some of you might have some of these unrealistic expectations. He lists the following. Every sermon should be a grand slam home run. Never mind the fact that Barry Bonds, the man who holds the record for career home runs in Major League Baseball, he has 762 home runs. That's amazing, right? It's a bunch. But he only had 11 that were grand slam home runs. And how, you know how many at-bats he had even to get those 762 home runs? Almost 10,000 at-bats. So sometimes it's an unrealistic expectation that every sermon is going to be a grand slam home run. Another uh, unrealistic expectation is that every member should be happy. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, in my house, there's only seven of us in that, and all seven of us aren't happy, right? And then within a church with almost 400 regular attenders here at South Campus, and when you stretch that across with the East Campus, almost, um, what, almost probably 1,200 regular attenders, you're not going to make everybody happy. But if someone is unhappy, the unrealistic expectation says clearly the pastor isn't doing his job if someone is unhappy. A third unrealistic expectation is that every doctrinal position I hold should be held by my pastor. Because, you know, if my pastor wants to be right, he should agree with me. <laughs> you know? Fourth, every program, every effort, every event should be successful. And if it fails, it was probably the pastor to blame. Unrealistic expectation number five is that every pastor should be available 24-7, 365, regardless of how small the situation is. Family time, shmamly time. Six, every pastor that Joe writes here, every pastor is solely responsible to keep me spiritually high. If I'm in the spiritual funk, it must be my pastor's fault. Every worship service should meet everyone's needs. You ever leave a, a worship gathering and say, man, I didn't get anything out of that sermon. The truth of the matter is, is that maybe God had somebody else in mind that morning. The church is bigger than you. And then the final one that McKeever points us to is that every minister should be a superhuman. He shouldn't get tired. He, he shouldn't be irritable from time to time. He, he doesn't need a raise. He doesn't need a vacation or a retreat. He's a pastor. Didn't you know that when they ordained him, they tattooed a big S on his chest? Yeah, listen, many of those are real expectations that pastors live under. But while they're often real, they are unrealistic. They're unhealthy. A healthy church 
has healthy expectations for its pastor. So let's turn to the text and see what those healthy expectations are this morning. So grab your copy of God's Word, 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in the 11th verse, and I want to invite you to stand this morning to honor the reading of the Word of God. God's Word says this to us. This is God speaking by the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul to us, along with the church in Ephesus where Timothy was pastor. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public teaching of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect this gift that you've been given, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your, hear, uh, and your hearers. Thus ends the reading of the Word of God this morning. Go ahead and grab your seat there. So, a healthy church has healthy expectations for its pastors. And hopefully, as we read that, that you noticed a few right here. I saw four here, four healthy expectations that a church should have for its pastors. And the first one is this, is that you should expect your pastors to be an example even if they're young, even the youth pastor. And I know here at Eastwood, um, you know, we, we have veteran youth pastors. That's the word I like to use. I still remember when Pastor Will came in view of a call, I kept using the word veteran. And he just laughed. He thought that was the, the craziest thing he ever heard, right? I was better than calling him old, right? No, <laughs> as far as that goes, he's, he's experienced. But listen, I was there when I was called at the age of 22 to be a youth pastor for the first time. And I was green as, a, as the grass out here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, I, I was young. I was really young. Now, verse 11 here in this text, I actually should have preached with the last grouping. It, it, really, it really finishes up the section 6 through 10. It should be 6 through 11, all right? And so I should have preached that last time we were in 1 Timothy. But going on down to verse 12, Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes to young Pastor Timothy there, there in verse 12. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Now, guys, this is a verse that you probably know really well, right? It's used oftentimes, it's quoted to, 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 to get the older folks in the church to encourage them to take it easy on these young folks. Lower your expectations a little bit. Accept these young people as they are. And while that's all well and good, we should make young people feel loved in our church gathering, right? We should make them feel like they're part of it. And praise God. How about these young folks that led us into worship this morning, right? Praise God. Oh, man, great job, y'all. They led us on Wednesday night as well and just did a super job. And so just appreciate Pastor Will and Devin and uh, Jake and their leadership with that, with that group of young folks here. But when we look at this verse here, it's not actually teaching what we often use this passage for. Right? You know, sometimes Christians, we have a tendency to take Scripture out of context. And that's one of the things we do is we take this and say, Say, yeah, yeah, treat them young guys right. Treat them good. Give them some space. Give them some grace. It's actually kind of teaching the opposite because this isn't aimed at the old folks of the church. It's actually aimed at the young folks. So young folks, listen to me really carefully here. This is actually for you, particularly young pastors, but for young people in general. It's saying, young folks, you need to step it up. 
You need to be the type of people that a mature person doesn't roll their eyes at. You need to be the type of person that an older person can easily respect. And this is important for all young people, but it's essential for the pastors. Right? We're to be examples in speech and in conduct and love and faith and purity, even to older folks. One of my good friends down in Tennessee, man, he is a preaching machine. And you know how old he was when he got called to his first church to pastor? Just somebody throw out a number. How old do you think he was? Younger than 100? Fifth what? 15? 50. Younger? He was 14 years old. <laughs> Can you imagine the church in rural uh, uh, Tennessee, McMinnville, Tennessee? If y'all know where McMinnville is, y'all know it's country. All right? Little church there. But man, he had a gifting. He had, his daddy had to drive him to go preach. That's a, that's a true story. Right? True story. His daddy had to drive him to go preach. And so you can just imagine the situation there as a young pastor, man. He had to step it up big time in this instance here, right? And so he's to be an example, this, this pastor, especially if it's a young pastor, to be an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity, even to older folks. I can still remember New Year's Eve, um, the, the first New Year's Eve party that I attended uh, at my previous church. It's 2008, all right? West Main Baptist Church. Every year, my church there, the whole church was invited to the fellowship hall for games and food and fellowship and all that as we counted down to midnight. And at that point, I'd been in youth ministry for 10 years, all right? And so what did I do? I, I, I naturally gravitated to the young folks that night. I mean, they were the ones having fun anyway, okay? So I gravitated over the young folks, and I, and I kind of had forgotten at that moment, you know, in the, in the moment, I got caught up in the moment that I was now a lead pastor or preaching pastor or, or pastor serious, you know, I was supposed to be, you know, pastor serious. And so that night, uh, as I got in there with the young folks playing games, and I, I kind of reverted back to the old youth pastor mode, right? Going a bit over the top, being a little bit loud, being a little bit goofy, and I still remember at one point looking around and seeing the raised eyebrows of the older folks in the church. They were like, oh my goodness, <laughs> who have we called to be our pastor? And in that moment, they were kind of despising me for my youth. And they kind of had a right to in one sense, right? Because I wasn't being the example. I was kind of being the obnoxious one in the whole group there, all right? And so as I think about that, all pastors, it stuck with me. All pastors are to be examples to the flock, no matter how young they are. Now, I've heard pastors lament the fact that, they, that, that people look to them as an example. But listen, if any of you are to be called into the pastorate someday, know this. If you don't want to be an example, you don't want to be a pastor. Because you are, automatically. Now, it's not that you get put on a pedestal and that you're like God. That, 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 that's too high and lofty of an expectation. But you are an example to the people that you pastor. And Paul hits five areas where a pastor is to be exemplary. He's to use his words in an exemplary way. He's to conduct himself in an exemplary manner. He's to love others in an exemplary way. He's to exhibit faith in an exemplary manner. And he is to live life in an exemplary manner. And so church, listen to me. You should expect this from 
your pastors and you need to hold them accountable to this, all right? A healthy church has healthy expectations for its pastors. Second, we look here in the text and we see this, is that you should expect your pastors to devote themselves to ministering the scripture. Imagine that, a preacher preaching the Bible. Listen, there are a thousand things that that pastors can do, all right? But the one thing that he must do The one thing that sets him apart from the rest of the local body of Christians is the ministry of teaching the Word. Remember back to last chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, where we get the qualifications for the two biblical offices, pastor and deacon. Pastor, elder, overseer, right? Those are the three words, but the qualifications of of, of the pastor and the deacons. And and, And the only major difference between the two was that the pastor is able to teach, all right? And so they should not just be able to, they should devote themselves to teaching. Remember, it was the fact that pastors were being pulled away from the duty of teaching the Bible, that deacons were created in the first place. Remember Acts 6, verses 1 through 3? Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, listen to this, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom, will you, uh, whom we will appoint to this Duty. And so the apostles here, who were the first pastors of the church here, they were essentially saying, these other things are important, but for us in our calling, we must devote ourselves to teaching the word. You see, that's the pastor's primary job. Therefore, Apostle Paul tells Pastor Timothy here in 1 Timothy 4.13, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. <laughs> Guys, that's what, that's what the flock needs. They don't need stories. They don't need jokes. They don't need sentimentalisms. They don't need commentary on, on current events. They don't need opinions. They need a man to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. Praise God. That's what they need. They need a man who would stand up and unashamedly Say what God says. And so I just want you to understand this morning, guys. That's why I'm so committed to preaching expositionally, verse by verse. And Don Bratcher, the next pastor that y'all call to preach at the East Campus, I pray that he is committed to expositionally preaching through the Word of God, verse by verse, right? Because the Word of God, it's powerful, amen? Right? The Bible says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, listen, Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so God's word's not powerful because of some mumbo-jumbo. This isn't Harry Potter or, or Lord of the Rings stuff here, right? It's powerful because it's God's word. And God's spirit takes this word and drives it into our hearts. Back in 2002, Christy and I, we were leading a dozen young folks on a mission trip to England and Ireland. We were going to be gone for three weeks leading them. And 
our team and several other teams were there together at the mission camp getting ready to go. We spent a week at mission camp before we went for the other three weeks to do the mission. And uh, these other teams, they were going all over the world. And so we met there at this mission center in Georgia. And on the morning as our teams were set to fly out there from uh, Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta International Airport there, um, we were riding a van to the airport. And one of the other Christian leaders, he began a, a Christian cheer or a Christian chant. It was basically a call and response song to the basic, we will rock you rhythm, all right? He was doing that, and we were in there, and we get all pumped up. We're heading to the airport, and he would say, word, and we'd say, word, and he'd say, God's word, and we'd say, God's word. God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. And then he had this line. He said, God's word is so mighty, make the devil tremble. God's word is so mighty, make the devil tremble. <laughs> I still remember it, man, like it was yesterday. It was so true. It was so powerful, right? God's word, we Going out as preachers of the gospel, we had one resource. We had one book. We could not commend ourselves. We could commend God in his word to those people. God's word is powerful. And beloved, that's especially true for the men who occupy this pulpit. He must preach the word of God regardless of the culture, regardless of the hard hearts and the pews, Regardless of the traditions of man, he must open up the word and read the word and encourage the people from the word and teach the word. He has nothing to say if it's not from the word. And a church should hold their pastors accountable to this. They should expect this from their pastor. Because listen to me very carefully, a man who deviates from the word deviates from God. A man who deviates from the word deviates from God. And so a healthy church has healthy expectations for its pastors. Third, we see here in the text that you should expect your pastors to exercise and hone their gifting. Exercise and hone their gifting. Now, Timothy, as you read here in the epistles here, he was timid. Right? He was reluctant to really get up there and do what God had called him to do. But look at verse 14 and 15. 1 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. I don't know if you ever thought about it in this way, but pastoring is more of an art than a science. Now, don't get me wrong. There are parts of, of, of being a pastor, studying to be a pastor, that are scientific. For instance, hermeneutics, right? Um, uh, 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 rightly dividing the Word of God, um, interpreting Scripture. There, there's a science to that. And, and reading the Greek and Hebrew and translation and all, there's a science to all of that, okay? But... But overall, pastoring is more of an art than a science. Therefore, guys, you should expect your pastors to grow in the art of pastoring, in their gifting as a pastor. We just learned this past Wednesday night, if you were with us, 
here um, in, in, in our Wednesday night teaching time, we just finished up a series called Everybody's Leading Somebody. And the last leadership principle from the book of Proverbs that we looked at was that good leaders are always learning. Good leaders are always learning. And so since pastors are leaders, pastors should be always learning, always growing, always trying to get better. Pastors are leaders. Better in communicating the word. Better in caring for the flock. Better in leading the church. Better in growing in Christ-likeness. You see, guys, listen. Every man comes in, uh, in, into the ministry with a gifting, and he also comes with weaknesses. If you've ever interviewed for a job, particularly if you've ever viewed for a pastoral job, you know, they ask you, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? You know, and you've got to have those answers ready to go. Okay? Because let's be real, we all have them. Ben Simpson has them. I don't even have to tell you, you know what they are already. I've been with you seven years. You know what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. Will's been with us going on four years, I think, right? Uh, that's right, four years. So you know his strengths. You know his weaknesses by this point. We can point to any other pastor on our staff here. You know our strengths and you know our weaknesses, but you should expect us to continue to grow. You see, your pastor's not a finished product. He's a work in progress. And so there should be grace here. But you should expect him to grow. In fact, you should encourage him to grow. Now think about that. for just, I, don't, I don't even have to tell you the ways. Think about it right now. What are some ways that you could encourage your pastoral staff to grow? You could provide him with resources to grow. There's all sorts of ways that you can do that, all right? But you need to encourage him in his gifting. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you what, it, it is so painful to go back. The first church that I was ever on staff with is Smith's Grove Baptist Church just up the road here, you know, and I was there as the associate pastor, minister of music and youth. That was my title there, all right, and so I still remember I, I didn't preach often. I, I taught the youth often, but I didn't, I didn't preach to the church often, but I still have the notes from, my, from when I preached back then, and it's so painful to go back and to, to even read. I, praise God, I don't have a recording of it, okay? But it's so painful to go back and, and to, to, to read what I wrote. Now, I do have recordings of some of the music that I led. <laughs> oh, 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 goodness gracious, you know? I mean, it's just unreal, right? When you think about where, where, where a man starts off in his gifting. But people at Smith's Grove Baptist, they were always faithful to encourage me. right? They, they saw me as a work in progress. And, and, and as I went on to, to, um, to First Baptist of Charlestown, Indiana, and then uh, um, Crofton Baptist Church, still doing youth and music. And then finally, when I, in 2008, when I went to West Main Baptist Church in, in Tennessee there, you know, again, first time being the preaching pastor, all right? Six years after, right, beginning there at, at Smith's Grove Baptist. I mean, I go back and listen to those messages. And I already graduated seminary and all of that by this point. And, and as I listen to them, I mean, they're not bad. It's just like I was delivering a dissertation. I mean, it was so dry. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the people, like, they had to get toothpicks to hold their eyes open. It was just wild, all right? <laughs> but folks were always faithful to encourage me. Every Sunday, there is a sweet grandmother there in the congregation, who always told me in her cute Tennessee twang, enjoyed the message. She said it every Sunday. And whether she was just being nice or not, she was an encouragement to me. And if she didn't say it one Sunday, I knew it must have been really bad. 
<laughs> but as a church, you, you have to be gracious to the men and women who serve on your staff. You have to give them room to grow. Give them room to grow. Encourage them to use their gifting. Lean into their gifting and hone their gifting. Listen, the, the next man you call will not be like the last one. That's one of the ways that the church trips up because they expect the next man to be like the last one. And it doesn't work that way. There was only one of that last one. And the new one that you have coming, which whenever it is, right? Of course, East Campus, and we're getting ready to call a preacher for there and a lead, camp, a lead pastor for all of Eastwood in that regard. He's not going to be like the last one. And, and, and someday this, this pulpit will be vacant. Either I'll die or, or y'all kick me out or I'll leave. One of those is going to happen. There will be somebody else after me if, if Jesus <laughs> keeps, stays in heaven for a little while longer. And so the next guy's not going to be like me. All right? And so you've got to give room and encourage people in their gifting. And if they're not, if they're not growing in their gifting, if they're not using and exercising their talents to the maximum that they can, then you as a church, you have to lovingly say like Paul, why? Why not? Why are you neglecting the gift that you have? Practice your gift. Immerse yourself in your gift so that we can see some progress here. And man, listen, I pray that God will raise up preachers right out of this campus, right? I can't wait. I I even have people in my mind right now, you don't even know it yet, but you are marked to be a preacher of some sort someday. Okay, just know that. And when I come to you, just be ready. And we say, hey, will you teach Wednesday night and put a date down? Because I, I think I see it in you. Just know that that sort of thing is coming because God has called us to raise up preachers and teachers. Okay? So a healthy church has healthy expectations for its pastors. So finally, the fourth one here. Expect your pastors to remain holy and orthodox. To remain holy and orthodox. You see, Paul wraps up here. Focusing on the pastor's life and his doctrine. He writes, look there, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself. That's your life. And on the teaching. That's your doctrine. Okay? Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So 1 Timothy is to watch closely. Pastors are to watch closely their lives. His character, our character, our conduct. We're to be holy as the Lord is holy. Now, again, that's not any different than your calling. You're supposed to be holy as God is holy. But the man that occupies this position is to be an example to the flock. Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians 9, in the 24th verse through the 27th, he said, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And we all know right now, even in our minds right now, the pastor you're thinking of who has been disqualified because he did not watch his life. He ran into problems with women or he ran into problems with money or he just burned and flamed out 
and was done with it. Maybe he even walked away from God. Pastors have to watch their lives so closely that they don't fall into sin and disqualify themselves. Second here, Timothy says they're to watch their doctrine. Pastors are to watch their doctrine. You see, right teaching is of utmost importance. Your pastor, in one sense, represents God to you, right? He's opened up. This is God's self-revelation. And so the pastor is here saying, this is who God says he is. And so doctrine is of utmost importance. It tells us what is the Bible? Who is God? Who are you? Who is Jesus? How can you be saved? What happens when you die? All these big, important doctrinal truths that pastors need to rightly handle. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's what you should expect your pastor to be and your pastor to do. And you as a church, you are called to hold him accountable to these things. Expect these things. Why? Because God told you to? Yeah. But don't miss the part there at the end of verse 16 where it is to your benefit. Pull verse 16 back up for us on the screen. Notice what it says here. Verse 16 says, there, right there at the end, he said, persist in this. Verse 16 here, persist in this, for by doing so, look what it says, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Because here's the truth of the matter. A pastor who is not healthy will probably lead a church that is not healthy. Right? A pastor's well-being is often tied to the church's well-being. Okay, If he goes down a doctrinally dangerous path, guess what? you will likely follow him and go down that dangerous doctrinal path and you'll both, if you're not careful, make a shipwreck of your faith. And so it's not just because God said so. No, it's, it's your spiritual life in one sense depends on this. A healthy church has healthy expectations for its pastors. Now, oh, Alexander Pope said, blessed are... Uh, what did he say in the very beginning? Blessed are those, let me get it right, blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. Now the truth of the matter is, God expects us to have expectations for our pastors. And guess what? We could come up with a list even right now where a pastor has disappointed you. All right? I can come up with a list right now of ones that I know I've disappointed. And I also could, you, there, there's an even greater list than this than those. I, I didn't really know it. But nevertheless, I, I disappointed him, all right? So what are you supposed to do? What, what, what are you supposed to do when your pastor falls short in some way of your expectations and disappoints you? I want you to do these five things. These are important, okay? Really practical. First, you need to ask yourself some questions about your expectations. Ask yourself some questions about your expectations. Were my expectations fair? Were they realistic? I remember one sister in my previous church that was so angry. She was, and she made it known through the grapevine. She didn't call me, but she made it known to me that she was upset with me that I did not attend her sister's funeral. And when I got word, I, I went to her house. I said, Miss Alty, she's now with the Lord. I said, Miss Alty, 
I didn't even know that your sister had died, and I'm so sorry that she died. And, I, and if I would have known, I would have loved to have been at the funeral. And, I, and it was a chance to just shepherd her. Next time when something like that happens, and I pray none, nobody else in your family dies. But please, call me and let me know. I had no idea. So ask yourself, were my expectations fair and realistic? Ask yourself this also. Were these my expectations or God's expectations? Big difference, right? Big difference. Those are two really good questions to ask yourself. Second, what do you do when your pastor disappoints you? Well, give your pastor the grace that you would want given to you. That's a really good rule of thumb in life in general. But give your pastor the grace that you would want given to you. Your pastor is not perfect. He's not, okay? This is you're not perfect, so give some grace there. Third, remember that your hope is not in your pastor but in Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord. And this is especially true if, if your pastor disappoints you by sinning against God in some way. And we've seen that, right? We could tell stories, again, of pastors who disappointed you by, by having an affair or by doing something immoral, by, by stealing. Or, or We could go on and on with the list, right? Where he literally disqualified himself from the ministry. And so many people, so many people, they're so connected, their identity is so connected to the pastor that when he falls and disappoints them, they don't know what to do. Well, guys, remember, your hope is not in your pastor. Your hope is in Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord. Fourth, I would say this, remember that the church and God are bigger than the pastor. I get it. Sometimes, again, a pastor just rubs you the wrong way. But guess what? There are 399 other folks here at South Campus. This is rounded up to 400. There are 399 other folks at this campus who love you, and you probably get along with all of them. The church is bigger than the pastor. And then finally, this is number five, work to help that pastor to grow. Because it may be a growth area. You may be right. He disappointed you, and he should not have. Help him to grow. Have a conversation with him to help him to grow. Or maybe he has fallen into sin, and not to the point of disqualifying him, but to the point where you need to step in as a brother, as a leader, or whatever else. You need to work to restore him. Work to restore him. Oftentimes, churches are too quick to punt him out the door. Work to restore that man, if at all possible, to bring him back that he might be redeemed to continue to work in the ministry, maybe even in that church, in this church. So, beloved, a healthy church has healthy expectations for its pastors. Here's my final prayer this morning as the praise team comes. May Eastwood be better... <laughs> because it expects the biblical best from its pastors. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. 
I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.